The Voice America Business Channel is brought to you by Intercall, the worldwide conferencing leader. Check out easy and reliable conferencing solutions at www.intercall.com forward slash radio. Welcome to Crossing Over the Bridge, the 12th program in the series. Our panel today, Robin Young, Summer Burks, Dr. Ricky Ott, and investigative journalist Patrick O'Brien. By June 2010, worldwide demonstrations were being held to protest BP and deep water oil exploration. The uncontrolled BP Macondo oil gusher, a mile down on the Gulf Sea floor, was killing birds, shellfish and other marine life and seemed nearly impossible to stop. There was a large BP protest day rally on June the 12th, 2010, along the damaged Gulf states. One of the protesters was 47-year-old Robin Young, a single mother and a resident of Orange Beach, Alabama, who was part of the resident group that helped to organize Guardians of the Gulf, the protest on the once white shores of her hometown. She was not certain at first what had happened to her on June the 12th, but left the rally with a terribly sore throat and coughing. Ten months later, she was still sick, and her teenagers had experienced flu-like symptoms after the rally. She was concerned about her family, and so many neighbors in her Orange Beach, Alabama Island community complaining about dizziness, nosebleeds, rashes, nausea, and coughing that would not stop. She also helped organize the Guardians of the Gulf, a non-profit, to help her fellow Gulf residents know about the impact of crude oil and corrects it on humans, animal and plant health. She finally became executive director organizing fundraisers to open medical clinics along the coast, continuing to fight corporate greed and an ineffective government and the laws by which they operate. Summer Burks is the writer of The Lady's Guide to the Apocalypse and the former lead A&E columnist for the San Francisco Bay Guardian. The fledgling New Orleans homeowner never considered herself an activist before Earth Day of 2010, when the Deepwater Horizon blew. From her home-based community centre, the Lower Ninth Ward Village, she worked closely with Matter of Trust and Burners Without Borders in the days after the explosion. Running around in the bayou, posting lookouts trying to get to the bottom of cleaning up the oil. Now due to repeated chemical poisonings from being sprayed with Corexit and rinsing off in Grand Isle's rainwater, Summer Burks was forced to evacuate her Dixie homeland or become sicker from tilt, toxicant-induced loss of tolerance. She later took up residence in the woods of Northern California and continues to support efforts in finding solutions to the dreadful circumstances in which the people of the Gulf of Mexico find themselves. Dr. Ricky Ott is a community activist, a former commercial salmon fisherman, and has a degree in marine toxicology with a speciality in oil pollution. She's experienced firsthand the devastating effects of the Exxon Valdez oil spill and chose to take action in the Gulf of Mexico region. She's the author of Sound Truth and Corporate Myths, The Legacy of the Exxon Valdez Oil Spill and Not One Drop, Promises, Betrayal 
and courage in the wake of the Exxon Valdez oil spill. She's also the founder of three non-profit organizations that deal with lingering harm from man-made environmental disasters. She currently lives in Cordova, Alaska. Robin Young, Summer Burks, Dr. Ricky Ott, and investigative journalist Patrick O'Brien join me today on Crossing Over the Bridge at In Discussion. Welcome to Crossing Over the Bridge, number 12 in the series at In Discussion, and the panel today, Robin Young, Summer Burks, Dr. Ricky Ott, and investigative journalist Patrick O'Brien. Welcome to you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Good to be with you, David. Dr. Ricky Ott, may I begin with you as a marine toxicologist and author of several books in a series including The Sound Truth. Would you kindly provide an overview of your work in the Gulf region as it stands today? Sure. I've been here one year now and basically the work has evolved from the immediate needs to the broader community needs. People who didn't know you know, what oil do, they, they thought the federal government or the state or BP would take care of them. They began to realize that that wasn't going to happen, and so we evolved kind of into the community organizing stage, which I guess is where we're at now. People have realized they need a plan B, and nobody's going to take care of them except themselves. What they're seeing is not what's being reported in the news or come out of the local or state or federal politicians' mouths. They're solid belief the seafood is not safe to eat. There are many, many, many sick people in the Gulf. They're not getting better. A lot of them are getting worse. And people have realized it's going to take a uh, united vote to, uh, to, to meet their needs. And so I've been um, helping doing community organizing at the fundamental grassroots level. Let me turn to Summer Burks. You have relocated to California after a dreadful time in the area in Alabama. Can you define your experiences over the last year? I was actually in New Orleans. I had lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for 15 years, but I'm a southern girl, a southern-born, southern-bred, and I wanted to die southern-dead. So I saved all my money and bought a house in the Lower Ninth Ward of New Orleans and worked on it for a year and a half, you know, got all the Katrina stuff out of it and was gutting it down to the studs, and then the spill happened, and so... With the Lower Ninth Ward Village, which was my home group, an excellent charity down there, and Matter of Trust, who I contacted, we ran around the bayou trying to figure out how citizens could help clean up the spill because it was seeming that our government wasn't doing that great of a job. I chemical poisoning from the Corexit carpet bombing and all that stuff a bunch of times and uh, started bleeding out my ears you know, all the usual chemical poisoning symptoms, and then I just thought it was pretty stupid to stay <laughs> when I couldn't even get out of bed, you know. What is your health condition at this stage? Oh, I'm all better. I mean, it, once you get away from that bowl of hydrocarbons and you detox for a while, you, you get better. It's called toxic and induced loss of tolerance. I mean, several people are suffering from several different things in the Gulf. Not everybody has what I have. Some people got bacterial infection, which we may get to later in the program, but all I got was the chemical poisoning part from the corrected crude, you know, all the fumes and stuff like that. So once that was out of my system, I became fine. I'm now the alarm for <laughs> if anybody left the propane on, you know what I mean? So 
and I can't really be in heavy traffic or at any of my friends' art shows. They make art that breeds fire. You know, there's propane fumes everywhere. I just can't be there. But other than that, I'm fine. Can you estimate in any way how many people in that area that you left are suffering from these effects? I don't think there is any way to estimate it because for everybody who admits that they have chemical poisoning from the spill, there are probably 30 or 40 people who just can't face it or don't know. You know, they just don't want to believe that something that horrific has happened and possibly on purpose they would make it worse, you know, and spray people with, with petrochemicals. They're like, oh, I've got strep throat again, or my baby's got scarlet fever, or my grandbaby miscarried. It's so sad. You know, they're not really connecting the dots. They can't really face it. Let me turn to Robin Young, and I do apologize. I confused the locations. Robin, could you indicate what your experiences are from the last 12 months? I'm right there with Summer. It, it's hard to believe that our government um, could allow something like this to happen. I've told several people that I wake up every day and feel like I'm in some John Grisham movie because I cannot believe what's going on around me and what the local city state officials are doing and allowing the BP and their contractors to do. It, it, it's just I constantly want to tell somebody, please pinch me. I want to wake up because I just cannot believe what's going on. You know, Orange Beach was one of the hot spots. We, we've actually had Auburn University come in and tell us that. They've done a lot of studies down there and being down there near ground zero. So um, at, at first, I, you know, when the well blew, we weren't even sure if it was going to hit our shores. So we quickly started organizing, and we brought in Dr. Ricky Ott to speak to our community so we would know what the possibilities of what was going to happen, where they made their mistakes in Alaska, and where we could have the upper hand. It became very clear early on that we were never going to get the upper hand, that the government and all the officials were completely cooperating. You know, in my town, it, it depends strictly on the tourism dollars. We have two-and-a-half-month window to make our money that will last us the entire year. And so while the mayor in my town would not acknowledge that people were sick, he also would tell people on camera he wouldn't put his brand-new boat in the water. He will not allow his family and his children. But he had no problem starring in commercial after commercial encouraging tourists to come down. And that, that was what my business was, was the tourism, the vacation rentals. And I quickly put my foot down and started getting very, very vocal. My symptoms started out kind of like summers. I had the upper respiratory. I had the nausea, the diarrhea, the headaches, um, those types of things. And once I got over that part of it and the lethargicness kind of went away for a while, then other symptoms started popping up. So now I have um, a limited use of my right arm. I am developing a limited use in my left arm. I am constantly having these attacks where I can't breathe. I feel like a, an elephant sitting on my chest, and then my heart starts racing or I will just all of a sudden feel like I'm fixing a blackout, or I'll have something in my hand and no longer have control of my hand. I just drop things. The short-term memory and the concentration issue is the one I think that irritates me the most because I'm not used to not being able to verbalize myself or stay on track. So it's very frustrating. We depend on the government to take care of us and do the right thing, and they have clearly made a deal with BP in some form of fashion to just let it go.
Dr. Ricky Ott, where are we now today as forest solutions are concerned? Is there any suggestion or indication that BP or any of their affiliates are going to come back to the area and set up some sort of centers to help people? Uh, absolutely not at all. Um, where we're at politically is the false impressions by the federal government that it's much safer now and we can go ahead and proceed with offshore oil development like nothing happened a year ago. The blowout preventer reliability, the failure rate is 45%. That's almost as bad as a coin toss, 50-50. That has not changed. Dispersants have been stockpiled all over again along the Gulf. So if there was a spill tomorrow, we'd be doing exactly the same stupid thing did a year ago, which is put in, apply massive quantity of toxic chemicals without any knowledge of or concern for the human health impacts. So I'd say actually we're a step behind where we were before because now we know this doesn't work. Spraying dispersants, we actually know it's bad for the environment and people, but we're prepared to do it all again if need be, all for the sake of offshore oil for fossil fuels. Is there any indication that people are beginning to stop eating seafood from the Gulf, or are they still offered the message that the food is safe to eat? You know, it's a funny thing. Um, I just had meetings these past couple of days with uh, the Vietnamese fishing community in Biloxi, and uh, some of the fishermen have been traveling with us. None of the fishermen are eating their own food. And the Vietnamese community in particular is very... I would say subsistence-oriented. It's their culture where, yes, they, they sell their catch, but also um, it's very deeply ingrained that they eat it, and they're simply not right now. Meanwhile, the image that's being projected to the public is that seafood is safe. It's only safe if you look at carefully at what the Federal Drug Administration has declared safe, and they have declared that three times more oil is acceptable in seafood from the Gulf and a ten times higher cancer risk is acceptable from Gulf seafood than the other coasts of America. Is there any acknowledgement at all from state? I'm clear now that the federal government doesn't appear to be helping in this matter, but what about at state level? Is there any support there, Dr. Rod? The state down here have pre-approved, um, I just I found out in, in December, pre-approved spraying of dispersants and basically whatever else the oil industry wants to use in the three miles closest to shore and in less than 10 meters of water, which means that the states have all pre-approved spraying of toxic chemicals basic to make the oil disappear and at zero regard for human possible human health impacts. It's pretty much cover it up and ignore the cost to the local community well-being and people's health. Is there any indication at all at this stage that BP is going to attempt to step back into this? No. They've been told to leave. Like in my town, I got a call Wednesday morning from one of the guys that was one of the few cleanup workers there, and he said, Robin, we just cleaned off just tons, 3,500 tons in a matter of hours in West Beach, which is located in Gulf Shores, and then Mayor Kraft came down and told them to get out. He wanted them off the beach. He didn't want the tourists to see them. And they informed him that there was a huge amount of oil, and he referred to it as 
fresh oil on a sandbar less than 100 yards outside the mouth of the Little Lagoon and that he didn't care. And they explained that they had two more weeks' worth of work there that they had already been paid to do. And again, he said, I don't care. Get off my beach. I want you out. Pat O'Brien, what are your conclusions in terms of the information that you've been looking at in your research this week? David, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. Again, this, uh, there was a meeting at the Hilton that took place. Uh, matter of fact, I've uh, spoken with the organizers of that event. They feel that there was a lot accomplished at the Hilton meeting. There were a number of meetings that transpired, and I know Ricky Ott covered uh, a number of different towns in her week here talking to people. They were trying to bring this all together and try to make it a place where there would be a discussion. But the feeling that I'm getting out of the event is that it was uh, just people talking to people and no real solutions coming to the table. And I, I have a sense that this is going to be an ongoing issue that one of the big problems that we're finding is the media coverage has not been there even on the, the anniversary. Now, I will give people like CNN uh, some props and ABC News coverage was more extensive than I've ever seen them do in what I'm perceiving is an absolute blackout of the story, especially in the use of the word corrects it. If I could ask Ricky to go into the corrects it issue when mixed with the crude oil, because what I understand is the EPA administrator came out just recently and said that while they they looked at corrects it and they said that that dispersant and that's what everybody uses on the media mainstream media is dispersant it's corrects it that they're using they looked at the corrects it and they said well this isn't really that dangerous there's a, a lot of talk about it however she also admitted that they haven't tested it with the sweet crude how could they go a year long and not put the combination of sweet crude and the Corexit together because we know from the scientists that we've talked to that product is more toxic when you add the Corexit and crude together. And from what the doctors that we've talked to and the scientists that we've talked to, they're saying that these people are going to get even more ill with that combination. Let's put that to Dr. Ricky Ott for her response. Well, dispersants by nature are solvents. They are designed to dissolve oil, grease, rubber, and, you know, human skin is basically hydrocarbons, oil. What the dispersants do is they act like an oil delivery system. They put more oil into the air, more oil into the water. In the water, it's more available to, to sea life. So it basically makes a bad situation worse. And when we went from the open ocean into the near shore area, these chemicals are designed to be used in open ocean because there's a huge volume of water that can be used to dilute the effects of the toxic chemicals. So the solution to pollution is dilution, but when in near shore, you lose that volume of water, and so the, the toxic effects are concentrated. I believe what we're going to be seeing from this are holes in the ecosystem where the sea life uh, it will be like Exxon Valdez, where the killing did not stop the use of the spill. It continued on to the point where the ecosystem actually collapsed. We might not have that 
but I think there's going to be, you know, species that show up missing. Another thing that happened was that NASA scientists measured more oil up in the air because of use of dispersants, and that oil is what people have been breathing. Once it gets up into the atmosphere, it comes down as rain, and it can be transported far, far inland. That's the vapors. The aerosols um, are being blown by the sea breeze, so every time there's like an onshore wind, People get sick all over again. It, it just it made a bad situation worse. And I have not, not ever heard of human health really entering the debate on whether dispersants should or should not be used in basically 40 years that use of dispersants has been debated. It's always been about ecosystem. And what we've seen with the Great Gulf Experiment is really it's time to factor in human health and look honestly at what the consequences are of spill response. Stop asking, is it bad for the open ocean? Where's the trade-off, open ocean or coast? Start asking the question that they ask in Norway, for example, which has the gold standard for oil spill prevention and response, which is how do we best clean up an oil disaster? That is not the, question, the way the question's framed in the United States. And that whole thing needs to be reconsidered based on public health epidemic of chemical illnesses that I've, I've witnessed um, emerging from BP's release of oil and dispersants into the Gulf. Dr. Rock, can I just ask you, if we look at many of these people, including Summer Burks, who have left the area, would you say that that could be seen as being rather prudent at this stage? Surely many people do not have the means to do that. But is this something that perhaps should be considered? I thought back in June that the local officials would declare an evacuation. Um, I was uh, having multiple meetings across the Gulf, and I asked people, we, you're all prepared to evacuate, evacuate. You do it all the time for natural disasters. Um, but in a natural disaster, you know, you can't really sue God. So um, people evacuate to get out of harm's way, and they, it, it, they pay, individuals pay for it. And we saw with Katrina how well that worked, where there's people left behind who can't afford it. Well, in a man-made disaster, there's never been a call like this to evacuate basically the entire Gulf economy. And I think it was too big of a problem for the administration. I, I just, yes, I think people should have gotten out of harm's way. I know the families that did, I'm thinking of Kinder Arneson down in Venice, for example, um, took her children out for two months. Her children got better. Their symptoms went away. She thought the dispersant spraying stopped. She brought her children back. And we have learned, you know, this year that they are still to this day spraying dispersants to combat the oil that is rising uh, in the water column as the temperatures rise. Um, and it's near shore, and here comes another tourism season. Here comes all the spring break kids. And dispersant, um, and in Louisiana, we know that it's genetically engineered bacteria as well that are being sprayed in this nearshore area uh, that's densely populated. What are the dangers, Dr. Roth, as the summer temperatures come in here? Is there going to be an exaggeration upon those toxic chemicals and those reactions as it warms up? The oil in that's on the bottom, um, there's, it's density dependent, which means to say is it as the water column heats up, the oil 
uh, and the sediment and, and the dispersant that are all kind of bound together will rise up. The fishermen have already been reporting uh, sightings of this, and there's simultaneous reporting of dispersant spraying starting up heavily again. So I think that what has happened is conservatively, Six million people so far, and I'm talking about the residents, the immediate residents of the parishes and counties right along the Gulf from Lafourche Parish in Louisiana over to Fulton County in Florida. That's 2.5 million people according to the census data. And the 3.5 million visitors just to the Alabama coast alone last summer, that's the only state that's reported. That's six million people conservatively have been exposed to levels of oil and dispersant that will endanger their health. I'm not saying all 6 million people are symptomatic, but definitely this affects people at a very individual level, and I have seen exactly identical symptoms along this entire stretch of coast that are completely new to people um, who are formerly healthy, who worked on the water, who know the difference between heat stroke, for God's sakes, and what they have now. It's different, and it's not going away, and it's scary to people um, because the doctors are not really helping here. Um, they're giving a diagnoses that don't, that don't match. I know people who, the fishermen who are medevaced off the, off the uh, VU, the, the Institute Bernstein vessels, for example, in May last year uh, were diagnosed with heat stroke and food poisoning, for example, and Still to this day, 10 months later, 11 months later, they still have exactly those same, same symptoms, and the round, multiple rounds of antibiotics and even steroid shots are not working. Surely it's something else, but the medical community in general, okay, there's, there's, there's a few exceptions. Conventional trained medical doctors are uh, refusing to call this what it is, chemical illness, I believe. Pat O'Brien, may I just ask you, is there coming out of this a human rights issue that perhaps the United Nations may jump into in terms of the way this corrects it material is still being used? I don't see it, David, from everybody that we have uh, talked with. I, I don't see anybody getting involved, including our, our own government, which is the one that should be managing this. This has been from the very beginning. Now, we've done... Uh, well over 25 hours of programming now on this story and have talked to literally hundreds of people and the story keeps coming back the same. These people are getting ill. The medical community has almost to agree with what I can find out from Ricky Ott, Dr. Ott, the, the, the doctors are ignoring this because in some cases I know for a fact that the American Medical Association has pretty much said, doctors, you don't want to get involved with this because there's going to be a lot of lawsuits flying around. They're treating it as it's a, a, some kind of a flu when, in fact, it's a, a toxic issue. And if I'm not uh, uh, correct, correct me, Dr. Rod, but I also have heard that it's a bacteria um, issue as well. There are oil-eating bacteria that occur naturally that the population blooms, of course, when there's plenty of oil around to eat. 
Um, it turns out that oil-eating bacteria, even naturally occurring ones, um, have a double membrane that is irritating in and of itself to the human skin. This is to be separated from, like, the gram-positive bacteria, okay? There's, anyway, the, the oil-eating ones just naturally irritate human skin. Added to that, then, the genetically engineered bacteria, which are specifically engineered to eat oil better, and I think these are contributing um, to some of these horrible rashes I've seen where people's skin looks like kind of like Swiss cheese, I mean, with literally holes in it. And I've heard that the federal government, but I need to do some research on this, has actually started a study on um, the effects of oil-eating bacteria on, you know, on people. But it might be a little late. Um, the, sperm, the horse has already sort of left the barn here. It's got two things, these solvents and um, these oil-eating bacteria that are, I think, making a bad situation worse as well. May I just ask Robin Young, Robin, listening to this, how do you feel about your community? Are you still secure enough, comfortable enough to be able to remain there, or are you anticipating a departure at some stage? No, I'm definitely anticipating a departure. Um, you know, I, I formed a nonprofit, Guardians of the Gulf, and we started out working on educating the people of the effects of the oil spill or oil disaster now. Um, and we quickly switched our focus to the health issues. And so what we decided 10 months into it, because it was such a political nightmare and the doctors weren't helping or couldn't help us, we decided to start doing fundraisers to raise money to open clinics ourselves. And so I've just come off a week-long, I did uh, a three-day music festival in Alabama, and I just got through in New Orleans on Wednesday night doing one. Um, so we're just, that's what we're focusing on. I want to get enough money and get the clinics up and running and funding sources to keep them up and running, and then I would like to leave. What is the effect, Robin, in your community? How do people feel how do they resonate with this? How is their business affected? Are they living this every day? Is there a social turmoil, a crisis? Well, you know, it's funny. We're, we're starting to experience all the things that Dr. Ott warned us about. You know, first of all, Feinberg's not paying the claims the way he's supposed to. He has not made anyone whole. So we've lost a lot of businesses in, in our town, and a lot of them are on the verge of bankruptcy. They've already lost a car or a boat. You know, they're slowly losing things, and they're still trying to hang in there. You have the folks that are sick, that are vocal and trying to get help. You have the other people that are sick that refuse to acknowledge it because they're worried it's going to hurt their neighbor's business. So we, we have a lot going on. We, we, we've already lost one person in our community to what two, two different doctors said was definitely due to the toxic exposure. She died of a, an aggressive cancer. She had a tumor wrapped around her lung and her heart that grew within like a two-month frame. I mean, it was just one day she was beautiful and healthy, and two months later she looked like something, you know, horrific. She was just all blown up and couldn't breathe. We have another young man who was a boat captain in the VU program who just recently in the last couple of months was diagnosed with the most aggressive form of brain cancer you can have. Now, while Mo knows that it's more than likely due to his exposure out on the boat, 
he has chosen, since he only has less than a year left or so, to just remain positive, and he's watched what's gone on on this, this these past 12 months, and he knows there's no point in him wasting the last time he has on Earth fighting BP because it, it, it's just a mute issue. He's not going to get any help. We have other people in town that are diagnosed with stage 4 cancers that worked on the beach. Um, we have beach cleanup workers that have all kinds of nasty things. So it, it, it's just a combination. I think more people are focused on the financial and they're scared than they are the medical portion. But when you have all your state, local, city officials not acknowledging, I mean, down here at the summit, the mayor from my town came, and none guests are in all those guys were up on stage talking about the health issues and the fishermen and the residents. And my mayor said, well, there might be, you know, health issues down in Louisiana, but there's not any in my town. You know, he still to this day refuses to acknowledge that there's a possibility that there's quite a few health issues there. Let me just turn to Summer Burks. Do you ever anticipate returning back to the Gulf, or would you be too concerned for your health? Um, it's not that I would be concerned. I just wouldn't be able to avoid fainting. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, I'm kind of with the guy with the brain cancer. I don't want to fight BP, really. Um, that would be kind of a waste of my effort, and it would kind of make me feel more poisonous. I, I, instead, I got the idea from Dr. Ricky Ott here that what we really need to do is a 28th Amendment for the separation of corporation and state at a national level. So on the town level, I've been uh, trying around here where I'm staying at now. I'm actually homeless. That's the price that I pay for my good health. I've been homeless for nine months. I'm staying in a horse stable. I don't have any money, but I've finally got a job. So there is a price, but I am healthy. So right now what I'm doing in my, in my region is um, calling all of the town councils one by one and letting them know about the resolution that they could adopt that corporations are not people. So I would, I would prefer that Dr. Ott explain that instead of me, but that's what I'm fired up on now, just trying to turn it into a positive thing. Dr. Rock, can I just return to you before I come back to Pat O'Brien? In my work, I'm charting what I see as a world that is definitely moving into some sort of epoch where we can only hope that fossil fuels will be reduced if not extinguished. How do you see that playing into the, the business um, part of this equation. There are many mayors and, and officials in the towns attempting to keep businesses going, attempting to keep the fishing industry going. I'm not absolutely sure where Billy Nungesser is at the moment with that. What do you come away with in your thinking process as to how, in terms of an organization or the way that people live, how is it going to work in the future? This is in part why I organized and co-hosted this national teach-in um, what I found in my travels around America the last three years um, is that it's actually more hopeful than it looks um, because uh, children, uh, local communities are taking steps to reduce and transition off of fossil fuel, off of fossil fuel. The, there's a huge disconnect in this country between what's coming down from on top, from the, the political layers, and what the people... Um, in these communities are seeing, and people are seeing the price, the cost, really, of our fossil fuel dependency is too high. It's too high, and people are uh, visioning. I, I've, I've been doing working with communities doing visioning exercises, and pretty much the uh, vision across 38 states is we need to pass a livable planet onto our children, and 
parallel with that is we need to create more self-reliant communities. And if you think about it, the action steps then that come from a self-reliant community are about local food, local water, um, local jobs, um, local energy. It's all about regional, you know, pulling back to um, the local communities and empowering at that level. And what I'm actually seeing are, is are people turning their backs on the existing power um, structure. So what, like you're talking about the business community and actually a Congress um, and just saying, you know what, your policies aren't making sense, your laws aren't making sense, we're basically moving into a survival mode here. What can we do? And increasingly people are working, networking, um, especially social networking, but um, intentional living um, and, and co-creating the communities that are, that are going to work in the future. So while on one hand I think we, we are kind of headed towards this collapse, I've started to tell um, audiences, yes, it's going to collapse, but let's be specific about what's collapsing. It's this very unsustainable, you know, racist, polluting society that we're living in. Let's focus instead on what we need to grow um, post-collapse, and we could grow that now. And th- that is not that story is not being really captured in the mainstream, with corporate-controlled media. Um, this this hope, this these these solutions that people are growing in local communities, whether it's around food or water or or energy or local jobs. People are figuring it out, and they're teaching the children. And what I see uh, from the top down is that as long as these big corporations, these big transnational, the big ones, upper 10% um, control 90% of the wealth, we're going to be driven down this very unsustainable path and try to wring every last drop of oil off the planet. And it, a prime minister in Nigeria said the Stone Age did not end because of lack of stone. And I kind of think that's where we're at with the hydrocarbon age. Um, and people are figuring it out. So that's at changingtheendgame.org. And we're going to have, you know, what people are doing, post it so that we can learn from each other. This is very much about um, growing our future from the community up. And part of that is getting the power of the pen back. And that's what Summer was talking about. Where at some level here, we're actually going to have to confront these big corporations when the movement is big enough, when the cultural shift has happened. And it will be like the abolitionists and the suffragists where fight, 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 and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, of course, you know, this, this isn't right. Of course, I think, is coming soon. I'm very inspired by that, Dr. Ott, because you're talking about co-creation consciousness. You're also talking about a tribal concept, which I see in the 80s generation, the kids who were born in the 80s. I see them heading towards that tribal concept. And then when, of course, you start moving away from the fossil fuel industry, then you have less reliance upon a global village and you do return back to community again. Is that where you're heading with that idea, that premise? Absolutely, and I'm seeing this. This is not just in America. It's actually happening happening globally. I mean, look to the South, um, you know, South America, Middle America. There's some really powerful stuff happening on a global level that the corporate control news is just not making people aware of because they don't want us to have hope. They don't want us to realize that we have options and that the power of the people is always greater than the people in power. That's not what they're about, but... The movement is, built, is definitely building. 
Pat O'Brien, as we move towards the end of the program rapidly here, what is the information that you've gained out of the event that we were discussing earlier in the week that took place? Well, what, one of the things that happened at the Hilton, the, with the help of the Yes Men, these are a, a couple of almost comedy guys, uh, but very straightforward actors, they uh, put together a news conference at the event at the Hilton this week, and they put together an, an imposter's news conference. Uh, they were put together with a lady named Ann Rolfe. She's with the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. You can go to the bucket, LABucketBrigade.org and actually see the tape of this news conference. And it was a phony news conference, but what it did is it shed light on the fact that they said that they were HRS and also BP spokespersons. In fact, they weren't. They were actors. And they came up and said that they were going to bring out and establish 35 clinics throughout the Gulf Coast, that BP was putting up $525 million to establish these 35 clinics, that the... Um, while the oil has uh, vanished from the site, they know that a lot of people are going to get respiratory infections, kidney damage, liver poison, so on and so forth. This was put together by an activist group, and I watched the video, and when you watch it, you won't believe what actually happened uh, at the event, but it was like, uh, it was what BP should have done. Come to the table set up clinics for health care uh, for these people that are ill. But that isn't what they did. As a matter of fact, a BP spokesman said, who are you? And the guy didn't quite answer. He said, who are you? He said, no, who are you? You don't work for BP. It was an amazing piece of tape. And the news people were totally confused that we're at that event, trying to figure out what went on. But it, it actually brought the point together that BP should step up, should create these clinics for these people that are yet to get sick. They closed down yesterday at midnight, a chance to be able to uh, put in claims. A year later, and people now can't really put in claims. And the other thing that was witnessed is there was a person, Paul Doom, who many people know with the story of the BP story, Paul is a 22-year-old man who got extremely ill. Paul Doom supposedly was invited to speak at the event at the Hilton. Now, I've talked to the person that did it, William S. Lorry, who is going to, says he will come on our program and talk about this and other things. But he is president of Equity International. He has a Pennsylvania Avenue address. Uh, they are a company that has worked with the federal government on many, many different issues. Uh, and Mr. Lorry has been out in front with Haiti and Russia and a number of different places, but he organized the event. Uh, they were very upset that these people did it, but at the same time, uh, so were the people that it was done to because the people that were at the event got some hope for a minute that BP had finally stepped up and were going to take care of the problem. Well, in, within an hour, it was kind of all debunked, and a lot of hope went the other way. But if BP took that lead of what those two actors did and actually did what they said they were going to do, put up the $525 million, establish clinics around and make people help, I think a lot of people, BP could get their good name back again. But they're not stepping up. In fact, they're walking away. Dr. Roth, 
Looking at that situation, I don't know if you're aware of that stunt event, but define it how you will. I sort of look in my world at the prophecies around 2012 and the Mayan calendar. And to me, it's almost a psychological presentation to take people down a, a certain road. Do you think perhaps events such as that that occurred will stir up some sort of uh, consciousness in BP or somebody else to actually come back to the table and take care of this? BP, as a corporation, has no conscience. Um, there is no such thing as social responsibility among these big corporations because, by law, they are mandated to uh, turn a profit over for their shareholders. So it's always about making money um, at all costs, quite literally. Um, However, I think the stunt of the Yes Men, all these things help, are very creative, and they help bring attention to something that very desperately needs media coverage. And as we get further, step further and further away in time from um, the BP disaster, that it's going to take, you know, creativeness uh, to get back uh, in the news. However, getting back in the news is a little bit separate from the issue of of helping people, and I want to stress again that people have the power in and of themselves working together, linking communities along the Gulf to actually take control of um, their future and their needs. And, I mean, Robin is just a great example. Um, I wish there were activists like her, uh, accidental activists, I'm calling them, because mm -hmm. they're people who had a life, you know, um, and all of a sudden, it all got ripped away, and they saw um, through through the veil. You know, the, the the veil was stripped away, and they realized, oh, the reality isn't what I've been led to believe all this time. How how can I help my community? You know, we need a lot more people like that. But that movement is building in the wake of some of the the, the work I've done, just sharing that we had to do this in Alaska. And the sooner you get onto this work of what I call doing democracy, um, the sooner you're going to be able to take care of your own problems. Let me just ask you, Robin, what are your objectives in the next, these coming months? To have more fundraisers to raise the money to get these clinics open. I mean, you were talking about the, the, the powers that they don't want to help. The Louisiana Seafood Association strong-armed my PR firm that was helping me with the fundraiser in New Orleans and cost me over 10000 probably more dollars in sponsorship. And when I confronted them on why they were trying to stop my event or keep people from helping, that I was opening up health clinics that were going to help their fishermen, they still wouldn't budge. And I told him, I said, well, by hurting my event, which was not going to talk about the seafood issue, it was only going to talk about the health, you have just made it impossible for some of your fishermen to get health care that they desperately need. So, you know, it's going to be a continuing fight with the political powers that be and continue to struggle to, you know, come up with the funds to open these clinics. And Summer Burks, what are your aspirations for these coming months? Uh, well, to find a house and to uh, work on the 28th Amendment for the separation of corporation and state. I'm already in the prankster community. You know, I think the Yes Man stunt was brilliant, even though it did yank a few chains. Um, that's always really painful. But then again, you have to be knocked off balance in order to realize that the world is off balance, and then that's when you start acting. You know, I'm a punk rocker, so I, I guess I'm kind of used to it, but now... The whole world is going to have to get used to it, and but it doesn't have to be terrible. I really uh, enjoy Dr. Ott, and I 
enjoy her philosophy, and I'm just going to help spread that positive chain of thought, I guess. And Dr. Ricky Ott, finally, your inspirational thoughts as we close the program. Courage, people, because we are all we've got, but we are also all we need. We need to look to each other for solutions and um, working together. That It's that simple. If we really did democracy, it would work. I mean, it seems like everything's against us, but truly, the people united can, can overcome anything. And that's what these big corporations are actually afraid of, are people standing up with one voice and, and speaking united. Um, and that's what we need to do. And Pat O'Brien, your final thoughts? Well, David, you know we've covered this story for a year now. We have talked to literally hundreds of people. We're making available something that I think is very important for everyone to know. We have chronicalized the history of this Deepwater Horizon disaster. It's available right now on the David Gibbon website. That's www.davidgibbons.org. It's called Deepwater, 20-hour history of what we have chronicled. The many people that we've talked to, Jean-Michel Clasteau, Ian Crane, Matt Simmons, Brian O'Leary, Wilma Subra, Susan Shaw, Billy Nungesser, Muriel Savage, Dr. Soto, Brenda Robichaud. We have talked to all kinds of people from all walks of life and have tried to get the truth out of what is happening with this story that history is all now on the website. You can order it, a 20-hour, two-set DVD. I would like to thank all of you today for joining me on Crossing Over the Bridge. It's a great privilege. Dr. Ricky Ott, Summer Burks, Robin Young, and Patrick O'Brien, thank you so much. Hmm, thank you for having us. And to our listeners today, I hope that you enjoyed this program as much as I. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.